Welcome in to another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, but the star of the show, as always, is sports columnist Greg Doyle. I'm in a great mood. I don't know about you. It's sunny. We're taping this right now in the middle of the afternoon on Tuesday. It's like 43 degrees going on 83 degrees. Like, I feel like just going out and cut off and like inflating my bike tires and going for a bike ride. Feels like spring outside right now. Um, yeah, I know. All the snow that we've had, it's almost all gone. And it's shot. I mean, you know, it's going to happen. That's the the natural way of, of life. But that was just so much snow and it was so awful that it's kind of shocking to actually see, wait a minute, that's what the grass looks like. Cause it was, <laughs> it was bad. It was so, we all know it was so bad. I live in a apartment complex and they, you know, they, they had a plow come through whatever, but you know how plows are, what they do is they clear a path, but they, all the snow has to go somewhere and it, where it goes is blocking your driveway probably. Well here where the snow went was it blocked every single parking space. I mean, every space, they cleared a path to drive through the complex, but all that snow had to go somewhere. It went in front of the parking spaces. Yeah. And we had people parking in the middle of the street because you couldn't get in your space. And I'm the dummy kept trying to park in my space. And I got stuck in the damn parking lot here several times. So anyway, I, I can actually park my car today. It's a, it's a good feeling. Yeah, our problem was more I'm on a little side street. And if you're in a major city and you're on a side street, you're SOL when it comes to plowing and all of that. So our main issue, Greg, was getting the car off of our street to the top of the next major street, which was cleared. <laughs> so right. uh, I, I spent most of, I don't remember when I sent the tweet out, I spent most of Wednesday of last week digging people out outside of my house. You know, there were half a dozen cars that got stuck over the course of the day um, just because, you know, there's a half a foot of snow or whatever it was in the road because the plows, they can't clear it because, you know, you can't hit every road. But I've I'm got, glad that it's turned. I've got the worst snow story car that I've got getting stuck has an IU feel to it. It was about 15 years ago. I lived in Ohio. I'm working for CBS sports.com and I'm covering college basketball and they, I was going to cover an IU game. Um, and I had a, my car was a RX eight, a Mazda RX eight, which is a beautiful car. Gas guzzler, beautiful car, but it has rear wheel drive, which is just stupid, but you can't drive in the snow with rear wheel drive. You can't rear rear wheel drive is useless. Well, my, my driveway was, you had to go down a hill, a small one, to get to the bottom of my driveway. Well, my car is at the bottom of my driveway. With rear-wheel drive, I couldn't get up it. There's like two inches of snow, nothing. <laughs> I couldn't get out of my driveway. So I didn't get to go to that game. Well, that was the game that played Charlotte about 15 years ago. Brendan Plavik of yeah. Charlotte hits a half-court shot at the buzzer yeah. to beat IU. And the shot arguably came after the buzzer. But... It was counted. I think it counted. And I used in the bubble that year. And all year, that was like the dominant story was they're on the bubble and they lost to Charlotte. Well, the tournament selection committee kind of give them a pass on that because they really kind of won. That was the game I missed because my damn car couldn't get up the driveway. I'm so pissed off even now. They started the clock late is what the problem was. So the basket, I think, technically came before the buzzer. But you remember the problem was, well, I was a senior at IU. So that's right in my wheelhouse. That was when I was IU basketball super fan. And my buddy and I, who was in the radio program with me at at IU, uh, we actually drove out to Hartford to do an IU-UConn game that same month. And they lost to UConn, who was the defending champion. Then they played a brutal schedule. They played like North Carolina and UConn and they played somebody else who was really good, and then they ended up, of course, losing to Charlotte. And right. you're right; they went ten and six in the Big Ten, and they missed the tournament because they were like fifteen and thirteen. 
Right. Um, so, yeah. Which sounds, sounds familiar, right? I mean, we're going to talk about another team hovering around 500 this year. As much as things change, they stay the same for IU basketball. Um, we got a lot to get to. Um, obviously, the Carson Wentz news, which ended up breaking on Thursday. Luckily, not in the immediate wake of our taped podcast, which seems to happen so often with breaking news. But I actually wanted to lead with something that uh, you just released within the hour at IndyStar.com about the IHSAA and transfers. Now, I do think people have some idea of this, of, of, or maybe they've at least heard of kids transferring from school to school, and there's a process that they go through. I don't think, though, Greg, that people are aware of how arduous that process is. And you talk to not just one family, but several families that have gone through it, and it is uh, seemingly, according to what they say, a miserable experience. Yeah, what happens to uh, – we all know that the IHSAA and, and all high school activities associations and NCAA too at times, we all know that sometimes they, they don't let a kid play when that kid was clearly transferring for some non-sports reasons. Like, listen, IHSAA, it's not all about you. Just because a kid happens to play football and goes to some other school and is going to play football there, he didn't transfer for football. It just – you know, it, it's the way it goes. So we, we know that happens, and that's not the story I wrote. I mean, that's, that story's been told a million times, and I'm not doing it. But the story I wrote, what I didn't know, is how awful, and I don't use that word lightly here, awful kids, kids and their parents are treated by the IHSAA when they dare to appeal an ineligibility ruling from a kid transferring. They go to the building, downtown uh, 91st Street and Meridian. They go and, and sit before an IHSAA committee, and the IHSA attorney hammers them, hammers them. And I've got four parents, three attorneys. I quote two state judges. And the Department of Education in Indiana has a panel that kind of gives neutral oversight to this whole process. And I, I must have quoted 20 different examples. One, one, one like, yeah, you found one. No, 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 I found 20. And you know why I found 20? Because I only looked at 21 of them. And 20 of them were just ripping the IHSA for like, you can't treat people like this. I'm talking about words like insulting, bullying, condescending, making fun of a family for believing their kid was honest when he said he had suicidal thoughts. I'm talking, when I say unspeakable, I mean, you wouldn't believe how these people are treated over and over and over. And there's one person in the whole state who's going to read this story and disagree with it, and he's the commissioner of the IHSA. Yeah, and that's kind of what, well, first off, were you surprised? Like, in, in talking to all these families and all of them having basically the same exact experience. Did it surprise you? Or did you think, yeah, you know, I, I kind of knew that this is how it went. No, no, I, I did not know how, how it went um, at all. Um, now, after hearing it about two or three different times at that point, okay, I expect it. Now I, I kept hearing it sure. and seeing it more and more. Let me tell you something. It's still happening now. I talked to the IHSA commissioner, Paul Nydig, twice uh, last week, let's say Wednesday, Thursday, and I also talked to him the previous week. And so he knew what I had. He knew what I'm writing. And I even said to him, are you okay? I quoted him different things and said, are you, are you okay with the state department of education saying this about your attorney? Are you okay with this? That was, and then comes Friday after I've talked to Nighting twice on Friday, they had another hearing for school up North. And I might be writing about this too. That school was treated so badly that I've heard about it. And I, that's not even in my story. Like, it's still happening now. What, I, what I'll be really curious to see is if it happens again, you know, the next time they have one of these appellate hearings 
Are they still going to, after being called out in the biggest paper in the state, are they still going to just carry on like it's okay? Because it's not okay. It's not even close to okay. This is not one of the stories where you read it and you think, yeah, well, I can see the other side. There is no other side. There is, you know, some, sometimes there is no other side. I mean, there's a side, but your side's wrong. Like, they're, this is not an opinion. Like, they are being awful to kids and parents because they can and because they think nobody's watching. They're getting watched now. Yeah, and I, I get, like, let's say somebody is at, I don't know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Let's say somebody is at Whiteland and they want to transfer to Center Grove, you know, even though Whiteland's got a pretty good football program, but Center Grove is one of the prominent programs in the entire state of Indiana now, a championship level program. I can understand the IHSAA wanting to guard against stuff like that. But in these cases where these parents have documentation that they've taken new jobs, I, I just that should be a rubber stamp, shouldn't it? Hey, I got I got a new job in Richmond, which is two hours away. So obviously my kid's gonna go to go to Richmond now. Like, what's the problem? I, I just I don't even understand what the possible hangup would be. People don't switch jobs for stuff like that. Yeah, the or switch job hours. Right. People people one kid, I mean, there are so many details. There, there's one story I didn't even write. Here's one that didn't even make it in my story. Here's a freebie for you. This kid transferred six hours from the north part of the state to the southern part of the state. Six hours, moved away from his parents, moved in with his grandmother. This is back in March or April because COVID. His grandmother, you know, couldn't go out, try to protect herself, needed someone with her, shop for her, give her drug, whatever. This kid left his school to go live with her and wrestle six hours away. And they wouldn't let him wrestle. They said that's athletically motivated. Here's the kicker. The wrestling coach, the kid left behind, the coach who said, it's okay, I'm going to let him go. He's not transferring for sports reasons. It's okay. That was his dad. His dad was his coach six hours <laughs> north. This kid left his dad to go live with his grandmother and wrestle for a bunch of strangers, and the IHSA said, uh-uh, athletically motivated. I mean, you got to be – and I've got more – I've got. I mean, I've got so many examples that I couldn't get into it because there's always so much I can write, but, I mean, I could have written a book. Hopefully we'll see some reform because, you know, this process, if you take all of these families at their word, which I'm going to do because you talked to so many different ones, this wasn't just an isolated incident. This was a large majority of the cases that I, I think the IHSA said, what, 10% that they reject. And this was a large majority of those 10% cases that uh, of people that you talked to. Um, I just think it's one of those things they're looking too much at the letter of the law. And, and with everything, there's a gray area that's not always black and white. And to just ignore that gray area, I was I was surprised by that. So check it out, IndyStar.com slash sports for Greg's latest. Um, let's talk about Carson Wentz. You also, of course, had a column on that. Um, and so did you. I, I, yeah, I, I tried. I tried to be – I tried to channel my inner Greg Doyle. Um, oh, yeah, I hope you spelled a bunch of stuff wrong because that's the best <laughs> way to do that. Yeah, I got a bunch of, you know, Carl Wentz and um, maybe <laughs> That's like what that. I do, right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, but Carson, I, call him Carson Palmer. That's what I'm going to do. Because yeah. same first name, obviously. Carson Palmer was a quarterback. I promise you I will call him Carson Palmer in a story. Promise you. <laughs> I agree with you. The widely held take was that this was probably the best the Colts were going to do. And I, I do agree with that. However, Greg... I think that my expectations for him, I, I think the ceiling that some people have, like expecting Wentz to return to 2017 to me feels like uh, borderline pipe dreamish. If Carson Wentz can be the player that he was in 2018 and 2019, he was a pretty good player, you know, a top 10 ish, 12 ish quarterback. 
if he could be that level of player, I think the Colts would be fine, and I think the Colts will win that deal. Oh gosh, yeah, he's. They're going to be. They'll be okay giving up a first round pick if it means that Carson Wentz was so good that they didn't want to take him off the field. Because if he's not good enough, they will take him off the field and play Jacob Eason and get better for the future and and and, and whatever. But if they think he's so good, we want him on the field because we're playing for something important. They'll give up a first round pick. They'll do that. That that is a they can't lose this trade. They almost can't lose it because if it doesn't quite work out, they'll take him off the field. And yeah, it's a second round pick. And nobody wants to lose that. But you know, you can't get a starting quarterback his age with his numbers for free. Like you, it'd be nice if you go to Goodwill and just get one for a quarter, but you can't. Is it at all off putting to you the fact that there was really no market for him? I, I get with the cap and everything that contract wasn't going to be absorbable for many teams, but the fact that the bears were the only other team interest, you know, part of my reaction to that deal, Greg was based on what the Colts gave up. Like I just assumed that it was going to be more than a conditional two and a three. Oh, that's why, that's why they won. They didn't give up a first round pick. Yeah. Sorry, you about to say something? No, but no, I, but that's what I'm saying. I, I just I looked at that more and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. If there's a lot of faith out there that Carson Wentz is not the player that he was last year and could get back to being the 2017, 2018, 2019 version, why aren't more teams interested in driving the price up? Why is it just the Colts and the Bears? Right. Well, a couple of reasons for that. One is there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks on the market. There's a lot of quarterbacks. Matt Ryan is or might be. Derek Carr is or might be. There's there's like six quarterbacks that would go in the first round of the draft. There are options. And, and the question is, what do you think is the best option for you? Um, so, but, so there's a couple of reasons why n- nobody else in the NFL had Carson Wentz's offensive coordinator from the Super Bowl team on their staff. The Colts do, Frank Reich. So nobody had that that person who knows him and thinks they can get the best out of him. So in, in that sense, no one, there is nobody like the Colts. To, to bargain with. But but two, I want to tell you a story about seven years ago, maybe. I was, still at C- I was at CBS back then, and um, Aaron Rodgers was caught walking. He was walking through an airport. Aaron Rodgers, Packers quarterback. He's walking through the airport, and somebody is trying to get his autograph, and Rodgers kind of walks by him, him or her. Pro football talk, run by that idiot, Mike Florio, gets their hand on the video and just blasts them. Just blasts them. Well, I that wasn't Aaron Rodgers I'd ever heard about. I that was so out of character that I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? So I went digging and I I I talked to uh I forget who I talked to, but I I went digging and found out that it wasn't what you it wasn't what it looked like, A. B, that person comes for autographs every week, and Aaron Rodgers gives it to him every week. And there's like all kinds of stuff. And my story was, if all you knew was what Florio wrote, you'd think Aaron Rodgers is a dirtbag. But there was so much more to it. And and seven years later, who doesn't love Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he is what he is. My point is, not that Carson Wentz is a saint. My point is, the story that ripped him as a bad teammate, it was written by one person at one outlet an outlet that I've never heard of, um, phillycitypaper.com, or, you know, it's not quite alternative, and I'm not trying to be down on it. If you're not a huge newspaper, you're nobody. I don't mean it like that. I'm just saying there's no track record here, okay? There's no track record. And and it was immediately 
and it was all the sources were anonymous. Some immediately his teammates, captains on that team came out and said, not true, not true. He's not a bad guy, not true. There, there's, but, but the narrative is that he's Carson Wentz is a, is a locker room cancer. And the fact that he wants to be traded, apparently um, it's not okay to want to be traded. You've lost your job and he wants out. The, the coach got fired. For everybody else, it's okay to want to change your position. Matt Stafford, it's okay. But Carson Wentz wants to change his. He's a bad guy. So the narrative out there is he's a bad guy. And NFL teams, don't are, they're not messing with it. And he's got the injuries. There are reasons why people aren't clamoring for Carson Wentz. But you take away that one negative story, and I'm, I'm almost discounting it. I need to see it for myself. I'm not saying it's not true. I just need to see it from someone other than that anonymous source. And you factor in Frank Reich, and I can see why nobody would want him as much as the Colts would. Are they a Super Bowl contender with Carson Wentz? Now, see, I don't know. I, I've got to see it. Like what what I wrote and what what you wrote, I'm sure, and what, and what everybody's you talked about the predominant theory. Um, we all think there's more there. We all have to believe anyway. There's more there, and that Reich knows it. He's looked at film. He's listen. Reich and Nick Sirianni are close. I mean, close. They've been together since San Diego seven years ago. Close, and. There's no way Nick Sirianni, and granted, Sirianni didn't coach Wentz, but he's in the building. He's talking to the GM. He's looking at film. He knows if Carson Wentz has anything left. He knows. And there is no way he would let Frank Reich gamble his entire future on Carson Wentz if there was nothing there. To me, that is the best The, be, the best reason to believe there's something left is Nick Sirianni let this trade happen. Because I don't care. Yeah, we talk about, yeah, well, he's competitive. He's in the NFL. But that, no, uh-uh. They had ways of getting better, getting rid of Wentz without dumping him on his best friend. So I think he's going to be okay. But I need to see it. So Super Bowl team, I don't – it depends. If 2017, 18, or even 19 Carson Wentz shows up, then yes, they are. Because even 2019 Carson Wentz, those numbers in this system with this roster, assuming the Colts now find a, find an edge rusher, find find a cornerback, and they'll find these guys. But assuming they find all these things, yeah, Carson Wentz will be the reason that holds him back. It's weird because I think a lot of his weaknesses, like his accuracy and, um, you know, holding the ball too long, fumbling and all of that are areas where Frank Reich can can find improvement like he did with Andrew Luck. You know, Andrew Luck wasn't the most accurate quarterback that there was, but his last year, I know we're only talking about a one year sample size in 2018. uh, Reich seemed to fix a lot of that either through the offense or through coaching or, you know, through kind of a combination of those two things. So. I am hopeful that some of those things improve there for Wentz. I just what what gives me faith, Greg, is not only the fact that it's Reich, but also the fact that if this crashes and burns, whatever, you can get out from under this deal in a year if you really want to, and just take a fifteen million dollar hit. He has no guarantees past twenty twenty two, so you can get off the deal scot free outside of a little bit of dead cap in two years if you want, and you know. This was the, as you mentioned in your column, this was the Colts' best play because the worst case scenario here is it doesn't work and you just take another spin at the wheel next year or the year after that. Yeah, it was a, you can't say it's a, um, it's a can't lose proposition, although I may have already said that earlier, but um, it's as low risk as you can get. When you're, when you're talking about a quarterback in the NFL team, there will always be a, an outsized risk because that job is so important. So you can't, there's no easy way to do what the Colts are trying to do, and there's no risk-free way of doing it, and there's no way it's not going to hurt if it doesn't work. But can you mitigate your losses, and can you stand – Can if the worst case – it's like playing golf. 
if you hit for the wrong side of the green and it goes in the water, you can't live with that. But if you if you miss the green on the other side and you're just off the green, you can live with that. This Carson Wentz trade was a was a shot for the safe side of the green. Maybe it lands on the green, they got a birdie putt. Or maybe it bounces off into the grass. They still have a chip they can get up and down. This is a they can they, even if this shot is a bad shot, there are worse shots to take. Look at you with the golf analogy. You're not a golfer, are you? I used to be. Oh, I mean, yeah. I you know, I used to I used to shoot in the 80s. I used to play. Oh, wow. but, um, I That's quit. Better than me. Yeah. Well, I, I I've quit several times and changed my swing. Listen, you, I used to play golf. The happiest I've ever been as a golfer, and I played three times a week when I was younger. The happiest I've ever been as a golfer is when I teed off with a seven iron. And I am dead serious because I could hit that seven iron 175 and I knew where it was going almost every time. I mean, so no, was I going to reach a long par four and two? No, but I was chipping for three and and two putting for bogey. Happiest I've ever been in golf and a a par five. I could reach most par fives and three, but the long ones. Okay. I'm on in four, two putting for bogey. I've never been happier, but I got greedy I started thinking, no, 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 no. And I changed my swing, made it longer, started hitting drivers off the or three woods anyway, off the tee, and even off the off the ground, and gotten in the 80s. Um, but my swing just old habits. I went anyway, I quit. But yeah, I know golf. And I told that analogy to Frank Reich, by the way, one day. I told Reich we were texting, I think, about missing on the fat side of the green, the what side of the green, and how it how it informs how I live my life. And he said, That's brilliant. I'm using that. And I said, please, by all means. So Frank Reich likes it. I quit myself because I just a I, I just don't have three or four hours to dedicate to it uh, anymore. I just don't I don't have time, and b I sucked at it anyway. So I use the time thing just kind of as an excuse for golf. Um, and I don't smoke anymore. I used to like to go out there when I when I was a smoker, cigars and and all of that uh, yes. out there on the golf course. I know. Sorry, it's a it's a disgusting habit, kids. If you're listening to this, don't smoke. Um, Indiana back in action coming up here in a couple of days. They're in the home stretch of the Big Ten season. And it just sucks, Greg, because every time I feel like, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, God, you know, Greg and Derek are so harsh on IU all the time. I don't want to beat them up. I'm an IU grad. I still, I guess, kind of consider myself a fan, even though I'm I'm a fan of, I'm a Butler season ticket holder. I'm a Purdue fan because I root for all the people in their athletic department who I've become friends with. So I'm kind of a fan of, of everybody, you know, equally. But there was a time in my life where Indiana basketball was really important to me. And I still want to see them succeed. But every time it looks like this team under Archie Miller has turned the corner, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And, and it's so weird to talk about a loss to Michigan State as a terrible loss. But that was just what an awful way to lose a game that you controlled early against a team that's been comatose all year. Well, Tom Izzo is just about accused them of quitting. I mean, he has, he has talked about the lack of effort. And then just a couple of days before this tip-off, he was talking about how my entire roster is on a tryout right now. If you want to play next year, you got to show me something. I mean, he, basically he's saying, I, I don't know if I believe in these guys anymore. They got to sh- And he wasn't talking about winning games. He was talking about effort. That limping Michigan State team came into Assembly Hall. The game was Assembly Hall, right? Yeah. Okay, right. Came in there. IU jumps them. They're up. 15 or something like that early, they get a combined 47 from Trace Jackson Davis and Norman Franklin on high percentage shots, both of them. They they shot a combined like 60%. If you told anybody that IU is going to get almost 50 from their best two players shooting a high percentage, they're going to be out on top by 12 or 13 in the first five minutes, fast start at home. 
you win that game, you have to against against the worst Michigan State team in a quarter century. You have to win that game, especially when you're on a bubble and need every win you can get. That that loss it defies it defies description. But then so does um, they lost. I forget who they they beat Iowa the first time, then lost to Minnesota. They lost to Northwestern at home, and then they right. they beat. They beat Iowa the first time and then lost to Rutgers, who has since rebounded and is going to be an NCAA tournament team at the very least. But they, Indiana right now has two quad three losses because they lost to Northwestern and Michigan State at home. Right. So this team is – the thing is they are – they're not a Final Four team. They're not that talented. But they are clearly good enough to be in the tournament. Clearly. Agreed. Whether they get there or not, I don't know. But they clearly have that ability. They beat Iowa twice. You know, they've, they, they are an NCAA tournament quality team. And they're, I mean, who? I doubt it, but would it would it absolutely? Could you rule out them beating Michigan? I mean, I can't rule that out. I, I don't think they will. I wouldn't bet a penny on it. But they, they almost won at Illinois, and they almost won at Wisconsin. Both right. of those games went into overtime, and they they dominated. They won at Iowa, and I mean, they they can they can beat anybody. Now there are teams that can beat anybody, like Gonzaga, and probably will. And there are teams that can beat anybody, and will go 50-50. And there's teams that are. For whatever reason, they're underachieving, but they can beat anybody. That's IU. They can beat anybody once or Iowa twice, but they can lose to anybody. I mean, that's the thing about this IU team is it, it, it's not just up and down, but they their their baseline, their their lows are so unbelievably low, but their potential for high – I mean, Iowa's top 10. Their potential for high is so high. I feel bad for IU fans that – it's not like the roller coaster. This isn't a normal roller coaster. This is like one of those ones that make you vomit. I mean, this is a bad one. Yeah. And when you talk about Archie Miller and his status, uh, I think we've been pretty consistent in thinking that he's going to get a fifth year. But I do kind of wonder, Greg, if this team misses the tournament outright and, I, you know, your colleague Zach Osterman had his buyout number and, and the buyout number becomes far more forgiving next year if Indiana makes a move. April 1st of 2022 than if they make a move April 1st of 2021. But I do wonder if some of these deep-pocketed donors and people like that, if, if they miss the tournament again, if they would just go to the administration and say, hey, look, we'll cover this. We just got to move on. Because I don't well, think the, the athletic question. department will do it. I don't, I don't think that they'll swallow the whatever they're going to owe him, 10, 12 million, something like that. I completely believe and don't know this, but I completely believe that if 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 the money is there, IU will make the change because IU has an AD. Yes, Dolson was there when Miller got hired, but he wasn't the AD. He was there, but he's not. He Archie is Fred Glass's guy. Archie being fired doesn't reflect badly on Dolson, Scott Dolson, the new AD. So I tr- I totally believe after what we've seen for four years, you know, year four is really barely better than year one or two, barely. Um, and that's there's no excuse for that. So if if someone, whether it's John Cougar, Mellencamp, or or um, Mark Cuban, or or whoever the Simons. If somebody says, "Here's here, we'll buy him out," I bet he's gone. But I do think that in lieu of that, Dolson's not going. to – They don't have any money. I mean, and what little money they've got, they just gave to Tom Allen and his staff and hiring that running backs coach, and and they're pouring money in football, and and they don't have any money. Nobody has any money right now, so they don't have the money to, to buy out Archie Miller unless someone gives it to him, and that's the question we just don't know. There were a lot of people that raved about that hire. Um, I know you liked it, Greg. I, I think it was generally received positively. There were times where I was convinced that somebody was going to do a great job and they ended up either not doing a great job or completely flopping. So I think we've all been wrong on coaching hires before. But you've been at this for a long time, including, of course, dating back to your days at CBS. 
what's the most wrong you've ever been on a coaching hire? Like a guy that you were just like, yes, this is the right hire. This is the guy. And then it ended up just completely imploding. Cause well, I can I, think of, I, I can think of one for me. It, it wasn't a full implosion, but it was a guy that just was in over his head that I really thought was going to be successful. What was yours? I really thought, and they brought him in as a head coach in waiting, kind of like what they did with Matt Painter and Gene Cady. I really thought Danny Hope was going to do a great job at Purdue. I know that predates you a little bit, but he like got the culture and, uh, you know, he was a tiller disciple and I really thought it was going to work. And unfortunately for him, um, it didn't work. But then again, to be fair to Purdue, nothing's really worked in the post tiller era. True. I mean, there's a lot of wind in their, in their face there. Um, I mean, I, when you have the job that I that I have, and and more important, more for the sake of this argument, the job I had at CBS National, you know, I I felt the need to right or wrong to weigh in on a whole bunch of hires, mm-hmm. and you're writing those stories. It's like grading a draft before a guy stepped foot on the on the field. You, I mean, you're going to be wrong. So <laughs> I was wrong a lot. Um, I've never been as wrong as I've been so far. Now Archie hasn't been fired yet, and so we'll see. But I've never gone gone at, gone as high on someone as I have on Archie and had it not work out. I mean I called him a not just a home run hire, I called him a tape measure shot in the upper deck in, in my story. Um so far it hadn't been close to that. I also Billy Gillespie when he went to Kentucky, if you remember, he was at UTEP and won big there, but UTEP back then it wasn't that hard. But he went to Texas AM. Mm-hmm. Nobody wins at AM. He went to AM and turned them around. And this is back when you didn't do that. I mean, A&M stunk in basketball. Now, Mark Turgeon went there, and people don't remember. But when he took that job, they were a joke, and he made them great. And then he got the Kentucky job. And and I let my personal feelings get in the way a lot. And I didn't really know Billy Gillespie at all, so I wasn't happy about him. But I did not and do not like Rick Pitino. Do not like him. We, I can tell you that story some other day, but there's a lot of it. I don't – put it this way. All the stuff – that we know Rick Pitino for, you know, the, all the bad stuff, the mm-hmm. bad stuff happened under his watch. I had an idea. A lot of that was happening before anybody knew it. And I mean, and if I could have proven it, I'd have written it, but I couldn't prove it. But you know, you hear things. I didn't like Pitino at all is all I'm going to say. So when Billy Gillespie gets hired after what he did at A&M, I wrote, and I almost remember the words I wrote. because <laughs> People have thrown them in my face so many times over the years. I wrote, um, by the time Billy Gillespie is done running Louisville out of the state, Rick Pitino will be collecting his mail in Missouri. And that was wrong. I got that one wrong. I got that one really, really, really bad wrong. I always feel bad for writers, Greg, because unlike us radio guys on the radio, you could say stuff and yeah, you put it up on podcasts and all of that, but it's a little bit tougher to just find it and grab it. You can remember that somebody said it, but you need to know what day they said it on what show they said it. Whereas with writers, all I have to do is search Gillespie, Greg Doyle on Google. Boom. I've got the link right there and I can read what you wrote and then send it right to you on Twitter. If I'm trying to troll you, you know what I mean? Like I've always kind of felt bad for people that have to put it down in print. Then people then can just kind of say whatever they want. And then they can come back and say, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. Like anything that you've ever said, I can go back and read. I, I know that you said it because I can read it. You know, people can't find stuff that I said a lot of the time. Well, now there's something called, and there has been for a couple of years, called freezing cold takes on Twitter. <laughs> and I'm giving them half their business because uh, yeah. I get stuff thrown in my face all the time from them. 
And all you can do is kind of laugh along with it and say, wow, boy, I nailed that one, didn't I? Because, I mean, what else can you do? You can't get mad. There, um, But people now, when you come out with a story, like let's just say that if I, you, you know, hire some basketball coach, they, they fire Miller and they hire somebody else in, in June, and I love it. And I write that day, this guy's going to kill it here. Someone will save that tweet and forward it to freezing cold takes and put my name on it. So you're, you're already on the clock before you've even been wrong yet. Like, it's not even like people don't have to go looking like, Hey, four years ago, I wonder if he said that they already know because they, they, they're sitting on it. Cause they've been told, Hey, here's one to watch. You can't get away with anything anymore. But again, it's all you can do is laugh about it. See that or cry. And I'd, I'd rather not cry. <laughs> You can check out Greg's work, including the latest on the IHSAA transfers. That's an article that you guys really should read to see what's going on behind the scenes there. Um, also, his Wentz piece and the piece on Archie Miller. If you've not gotten to that yet, IndyStar.com, you can subscribe. I think you guys are still doing the digital deal, aren't you? Isn't it like a dollar for six months? It's something crazy. It's cra- It's criminal. It's crazy. I. You get if mad you guys about can it. Find it. Go find <laughs> it. I'm not. I'm not making any money off that. That's not giving me any job security at all. So, you guys find it. More power to you. But I'm not going to make it easy on you because that's killing me. But go ahead and find it, Dead Gummit. And then Quarry and Schultz tonight, uh, six o'clock. ISCSportsNetwork.com. It debuts every single Tuesday. Uh, also, QuarryandSchultz.com if you want to check that out. And then Indie Monthly, and uh, obviously this podcast. Some of the other stuff that I do. Thanks so much, Greg. We'll do it again next week. Always fun, Derek.